chapter 16, verses 19 through 24. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. All right. Well, good morning once again. Uh, My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at FBC, and I just want to welcome you and say that I'm so glad that you're with us this morning, especially if you're new. uh, Welcome. Uh, We are eager to continue worshiping this morning by studying God's Word together. We're about to jump into the book of Acts chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, we'd love for you to open with us to Acts chapter 16, or uh, the words will be on the screen if you needed, uh, if you need that as well. Uh, Today's a special day because as I've mentioned before and as we've seen, uh, David, uh, my friend, is with us uh, leading worship. Uh, Today's also a special day because you just heard from Pastor Lee that uh, small groups are kicking off. So this fall we have some new small group opportunities. A lot of the small group opportunities are online and we just believe uh, now more than ever in the importance of of small groups, especially in this strange uh, time and what the next few months are going to look like. We're going to need one another. We're going to need community. We're going to need connection. And so small groups are just a weekly opportunity to uh, study the Bible together, to pray together, to grow in relationships with others. And so we want to invite you to join a small group, and I hope that you'll take that step and take that opportunity. Uh, Next week, we're launching our new sermon series through the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to take a couple months going from start to finish in 2 Timothy. Uh, Really excited for that series we've titled Onward, which is really just about, again, stepping out into the future as the church, stepping into this next season full force with passion and excitement, seeing what God has for us. But uh, today, I wanted to just take a few uh, moments in Acts chapter 16 before we launch into the fall and really address our posture or our, our hearts as we get ready for the months ahead. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this morning, uh, for the gift of uh, time together, time in your word, uh, the gift of, of worship that we could sing to you and pray to you and look to you now. We, we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and open our eyes to what is true. Would you teach us from your word? Would you guide us, Holy Spirit? Um, Do your work in our hearts. Uh, We come with open hands. We come in humility. God, would you have your way in us? Uh, We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I think one of the best ways to describe the season that we're now in is a season of interruption. All right, it seems like it's a pretty common sentiment, a common feeling about 2020 that it's been hijacked, right? Our year has been hijacked. Our hopes and our plans for the year have been interrupted. Maybe you've had to cancel trips, uh, cancel vacations that you were looking forward to. Uh, Maybe your work life has been radically altered or changed. Maybe uh, school for you or your kids or your family has been interrupted. Maybe there's been a relational tension in your life now that you weren't expecting because of these new rhythms. Even our uh, access to toilet paper 
was interrupted. Professional sports were interrupted and put on hold this year. Church plans for the year have had to change and shift. There's been racial tension and social unrest in our nation. Uh, Let's be honest. This year has looked nothing like we thought it would. We find ourselves in a situation that we didn't choose and most of us do not like. And so thank you, 2020, right? Well, the good news is that the Bible actually has uh, plenty to say and plenty to teach us about seasons of interruptions. We see throughout Scripture many places where the people of God have been moving forward with their plans when uh, something comes in and they get totally sideswiped, totally interrupted, and they find themselves in a position that they were not expecting. That's exactly the situation we have in Acts chapter 16, and we're going to see as we look at Acts chapter 16 uh, some lessons, some things we can learn for how we can navigate our interruption today. A little context for you as we get ready to jump into Acts chapter 16. We're dropped into the world of first century Philippi. The church in the ancient world was growing and expanding as the good news of Jesus spread throughout the ancient world. And things started off really strong in Philippi. If you read earlier in Acts chapter 16, a woman named Lydia hears the message from Paul and and her and her whole household come to faith and they're baptized. We think, awesome. And then not long after, a a slave girl who's possessed by some form of evil spirit is liberated, is set free by the power of Jesus and her life is radically changed. And so we say, wow, this is great. So in, in word and in power, the gospel is moving forth by the power of the spirit in Philippi. Up and to the right, things are going well, all right. But then, interruption. And as we heard read just a few minutes ago in verses 19 to 24, we see that Paul and Silas, who are planting this church in Philippi, basically are uh, grabbed by an angry mob, stripped, beaten, humiliated publicly, and ultimately imprisoned because the people of Philippi didn't like what they were up to. I imagine this situation would be fairly jarring for Paul and Silas. I mean, they'd experienced ministry success, people coming to faith, people being baptized, the power of Jesus setting people free and changing lives, all kinds of positive momentum. Wheels in their mind must have been turning about, what's next, God? How are we going to build out this momentum? What's next? What are we going to do next? How are we going to see you move next? But then... Interruption, angry mob, beaten, thrown in prison. But we're going to see that how they respond to their interruption can teach us a lot about how we can respond to our interruption. And so let's see what these men do. Pick up the story in verse 25 uh, after they've been sent uh, to prison. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So the first way Paul and Silas respond to this interruption in their life is with worship. They, they worship. They're awake at midnight in prison after being beaten, stripped, humiliated, locked in an uncomfortable prison cell, and yet they're praying 
They're singing hymns and songs of praise to God. Now, if this verse, verse 25 here, uh, was written about me, I think it probably would have said something like this. About midnight, Matt was awake complaining about how he couldn't sleep and grumbling about how unfairly he had been treated in the city. Or about midnight, Matt was awake and grumpy and doubting God's presence. And he was wondering whether God was really with him at all. Isn't that where our hearts go? Sometimes when our plans don't work out, when we face hardships and interruptions, well, there you have it, God's absent. God's not for me. God's not with me. And we disengage from God, from church, from community. Maybe some of you have been there recently in this season. But for Paul and Silas, their interruption didn't push them away from God. It actually drove them to God. This is just one example of many in Scripture of faithful men and women who in difficult circumstances sing and pray and lean into God in the midst of their pain. They worship through the storm. Paul and Silas somehow there in prison still had joy, still chose to trust God, still tried to see their circumstances not in isolation but as a part of the bigger picture and the bigger story that God was telling. And so, friends, the the principle is pretty simple for us today, right? In our season of interruption, we have to be people who worship. We have to engage in the Word of God, to sing, to pray, to seek the Lord. Why? Because worship recalibrates our hearts. Our heart is like a a compass that can get broken and cannot work properly and it's not able to point us in the right direction. And so we need something to to fix our hearts, to recalibrate so that we look to the Lord and remember what is true. See, as we go throughout our weeks, we hear all kinds of messages from people, from media, from uh, the world about ourselves, about God about the world, so many different competing messages and not all of them are true. And so in worship, we're reminded of what is true. We're reminded of the word of God, the promises of God, the character of God, the power of God. And we look to him and we sing to him and it refocuses our hearts. And also, when we worship, it takes our eyes off of ourselves, right? And so we don't just constantly look zoomed in at our pain or our difficult circumstances. We can take a step back, zoom out, and see God and see possibly what he's up to in the bigger picture. We can look to him. We can trust him. And it allows us then, with that renewed vision, to engage our circumstances once again with a renewed sense of joy and a renewed sense of strength. And so, friends, simply, I want to encourage us to be people of worship this fall, to be people who come to church, even if it's online, to be people who sing to God and spend time in His Word, right? This is corporate worship when we come together for a worship service like we are now, but also in your personal life. That's why we have a a church-wide Bible reading plan where we're reading through the New Testament this year. We can put the link down in the chat so you can find that reading plan and join us reading a little bit of the New Testament and praying each day. 
This is why we encourage families to do uh, devotionals and for parents to lead these kids' lessons in their homes so that we as a family can worship. This could be uh, listening to uh, worship music on your commute, in the car, in, in your home. This could be joining us on Thursday mornings for our Thursday morning prayer time to seek the Lord. So very simply, in times of interruption, uh, we are to be people of worship. Now, as they sing and pray there in prison in Acts chapter 16, something pretty miraculous happens. Look at the text at what unfolds next. Verse 25, uh, again, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. pretty spectacular, right? They're singing, they're praying, it's midnight, and a violent earthquake strikes, and it shakes the prison, and the doors are flung open, and their chains fall off. This is what some would call a a God thing, right? This is not just a, a, a mere earthquake. This is God doing something special in this moment. But what I think is even more miraculous, more spectacular than the earthquake itself is what happens next. It's spectacular what Paul and Silas do. How do they respond? And before we answer that, I want you to think about what you would do in a situation like this or what you would expect these men to do. Think about it. You're sharing the gospel in Philippi. You're trying to do the work of God, help people come to know Jesus. People are being saved. People are being baptized. And then an angry mob grabs you. You're beaten stripped, publicly humiliated, and wrongfully imprisoned. Then that night, you're awake, you're singing, you're praying, and God miraculously shakes the prison, doors open, chains fall off. What do you do? You go track star out the front door, right? You're like, this is a sign from God. We've been vindicated. We've been set free. We are out of here. Jailbreak. Silas, get your bag. We're leaving off into the night. Here we go. God's rescuing us, right? I mean, isn't that what we would expect them to do? But that's not what they do. Instead, how do they respond? They don't go anywhere. Look at verse 28. Paul shouted, Paul calls out, don't harm yourself. We're all here. He looks to the jailer. And he says, hey, Mr. Mr. Jailer man, Mr. Prison Guard, hey, don't worry. We're, we're all here, okay? We're just going to stay put. Not going to cause any trouble. Not uh, going anywhere. Doors open. Chains come off. Escape is possible. We're going to stay put. I mean, no one would fault them for running away, right? They don't. Why? It appears that out of concern for the jailer, they stay, right? What does verse 27 say? He wakes up, the jailer uh, sees the doors open, and he assumes that the prisoners are gone. And he, he goes to kill himself because he was responsible for the prisoners. And so if they got away on his watch, he would either be executed or have to serve uh, prison time himself in their place. Uh, he would be severely punished. And so he says, you know what, to avoid the shame, I'm just going to kill myself. 
But rather than living out of kind of a self-focused, self-preservation mode and running off into the night, Paul and Silas and the prisoners, I guess they stay. And it's in order to care for this jailer. They see this as an opportunity to impact this man's life. And they welcome it. And so friends, this is the second lesson. In times of interruption, we need to welcome opportunities. See, Paul and Silas didn't see this interruption, this time in jail, just as some uh, inconvenience that they are to move past as quick as they can. They said, wait a second, there's ministry, there's work for us to do here. They looked around and said, we're not going to get back to our previously scheduled ministry right away. There's something for us here in this interruption. And they welcomed it. And we'll see how their actions change the jailer's life in just a moment. But for us today, think about that. In this season of interruption, we have to welcome the opportunities that God is bringing in this season. We're not just going to hibernate until next year. Say, we'll get to ministry, we'll get to life, we'll get to uh, work next year. No, there's things to do now. And friends, I've been so encouraged to, to see the ways you've already stepped into ministry opportunities to see the way you as the church have been uh, checking in on one another, calling those who might be uh, lonely or living alone. I've seen you bring meals and, and gifts and drop off small things to people in our community, letting them know that you're here for them. I've seen you take opportunities to get to know your neighbors. That's been something we've been able to do is spend more time with our neighbors. We're home more. We see people out in the front yards with their kids. We're able to go outside and visit and get to know our neighbors. And we're saying, all right, God, this is a special season where relationships can be built. I was so encouraged that many of you took an opportunity to come out to a Foster the Bay interest meeting. You said, okay, Lord, in this season, I can, I can learn more about foster care. I can learn more, maybe get prepared to engage this ministry in some meaningful way. And so many of you came out to an interest meeting online. It was so encouraged, so proud of the ways that you, church, are welcoming opportunities in this season. I just want to encourage us to continue with that posture. It could be really easy in a season like this to turn inward. You know, I just need to focus on me, or I just need to focus on my family, or I just need to focus on our church, and not look out, we got to deal with stuff here. And of course, there are times of crisis, there are times just in general where, yeah, we need to take care of our family, our church, and do work here. But we, at the same time, were designed by God to love and serve others. He's called us not just to care about ourselves, but to be a community that's marked by love for our neighbors. A community that looks out says, how can we care for people beyond our walls? To follow the call of Jesus to love and lay down our lives for the good of those around us. And friends, this is where we'll find life. This is where we'll find growth. This is where we'll find healing often sometimes. We're like servants in Beauty and the Beast. The classic Beauty and the Beast. You remember the story in the castle. Uh, The servants in the castle have been turned into cups and silverware and candelabras and clocks that can talk. But because their master is a beast, uh, no one's coming over for dinner, right? So they have no one to serve. They can't do what they were designed to do. They can't use their gifts. 
But then, Bell shows up. And Bell becomes a guest, uh, mostly against her will. Uh, but she, she comes around. Uh, but when she arrives, the servants, are they're elated because now they have someone to serve. They have tasks to do, work to do, gifts to use. And if you remember the song, Be Our Guest, there's some lines in that song that capture this heart perfectly. Remember it this way. It says, life is so unnerving. I believe it was Lumiere singing. Life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. He's not whole without a soul to wait upon. Ah, those good old days when we were useful. Suddenly those good old days are gone. Ten years we've been rusting, needing so much more than dusting, needing exercise, a chance to use our skills. Because most days we just lay around the castle, flabby, fat, and lazy. Then you walk in, he says to Bell. See, at the heart of a servant, the heart of one that has work to do. And friends, I would say, as Christians, we operate very much the same way. We have gifts to use. We have something to offer our community. And if we're not looking out and we're not serving those around us, then we're going to shrivel. Our hearts are going to stagnate. And so we need to take these opportunities, not just to huddle inward as a church, but in order to thrive in this season, we have to welcome opportunities to use our gifts, to use our resources, to love our neighbors, and point them to Jesus. So, in times of interruption, we worship, we welcome opportunities. There's one more. It may or may not start with a W. We'll see. Acts Chapter 16, verse 29, look what happens. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in. Again, the prisoners are still there. And fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds And immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Amazing. And so see what happens. The the jailer sees that Paul and Silas and the others are still there. And his question, he asks, what must I do to be saved? Which is interesting that he leads with that question. Of all the things he could say, of all the things he could ask, that's the question. Perhaps he knew something about these men and their spiritual credentials before they were arrested. Perhaps he heard them singing and praying in prison. He said, there's something that these guys have that I want to know about. Somehow, he had this sense that there is a God and these men seem to be able to help me have a right relationship with this God. So we ask, what must I do to be saved? Now, we can't answer this next question with certainty, but I I do wonder if he was interested in their faith before the earthquake. Again, we can't answer this for sure, but was he interested before the earthquake? Or did he look at Paul and Silas and say, there's some religious fanatics, my life's going pretty well, Uh, this isn't really worth my time. I, I don't know. But what we do know for sure is that 
after the earthquake, he was definitely interested. After the earthquake, he needed answers. And I think it's because he experienced something so uh, momentous, so jarring that he says, you know what, I need answers. And I wonder, I wonder if a lot of people today are having a similar experience as COVID uh, continues and with all its implications, I wonder if things that once seemed so stable for so many now are shaken. People who had a content life apart from God, perhaps all of a sudden want to know more about spiritual things because they realize how short life can be. They realize maybe that their way of life and the assumed answers to their questions have some holes in them and aren't quite satisfying the way they used to be. And they'll want to know if there is a God, is there more to life than this? I think there will be incredible opportunities for us as Christians, friends, to, to share the hope of Jesus. And so Paul and Silas, they answer this man directly. Verse 31, they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So in times of interruption, friends, another W word, we're to witness. Witness, that's a word that comes from the Bible that simply means to, to share, to tell other people about Jesus and what he's done. And so they give a, a simple gospel message. Right? They boil it down, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Now we know this isn't all that they say because verse 32, it says, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And so they, they go on after this to speak God's word, to teach uh, the man more about Jesus and what a life of faith looks like and what repentance looks like and, and so on. But he leads with, he boils it down to... Uh, the heart of the message, the simple truth, that you will be saved if you believe in the Lord Jesus. And that's the gospel that we still celebrate today, that we're saved by faith in the Lord Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 famously says we're saved by grace through faith. What does it mean? We're saved by God's grace. Grace, meaning it's a gift. We didn't earn it. He gives it to us freely, and we receive that gift by faith, by believing in Jesus, by putting our, our trust in him. And so friends, this morning as we step into the fall, we remember the simple gospel that we are not saved by works, we're not saved by our good behavior, we're not saved by earning it or, or trying hard enough, we're saved by God's grace through faith. And God invites us all simply to believe in the Lord Jesus. Look to him and his work on the cross. When we put our trust in him, we receive adoption into the family of God, forgiveness of our sins, uh, reconciliation, relationship with God, eternal life with him. Friends, it's so important that we get this message. came across a survey this week uh, that talked about the American religious landscape and it talked about how uh, not all proclaimed Christians believe this message, justification by faith. The study found that 52% of adults who identify as Christians also accept a works-oriented means to God's acceptance. Okay, 52% of people who said, I'm a Christian, so the majority of people who said, I'm a Christian, then went on to say, and I'm going to be accepted by God based on my works. 
50, majority of people who claim to be Christians. I'm a Christian and I'm saved by my own works. Meaning, if, if I'm, as long as I'm generally good and do enough good things, God's going to welcome me. And so in order for you to be saved, just do enough good things, be a good person, follow uh, the commands of Scripture, and God's going to welcome you. 52% of professing Christians. Friends, that is heartbreaking. That is a, a, a burden that we cannot bear. That is a distortion of the gospel. Friends, what is the good news? The good news of the gospel we've just been talking about. We're saved by grace. We're saved by the work of Jesus through no effort of our own, through no contribution from ourselves. We're saved by the grace of God as a gift all because of the work of Jesus. We need to see this, friends. We need to see how truly liberating and freeing this is to know that, that our, our acceptance before God is not based on what we do, but he, he gives us his love and acceptance before any sort of performance. And then in response, we go and live new lives following him. And so friends, this is what Paul and Silas say. Hey, here's the gospel message. Believe in the Lord Jesus. I would imagine they've, they've, they'd thought about this a little bit before he asked this question, right? This probably wasn't the first time they thought about how to answer such a question. And so the same thing for us applies. If we want to be able to answer such a question directly, we need to think about what would I say in a situation like that? If someone asks me, what is the good news of Christianity? What is the gospel? How do I be saved? What's Christianity all about? I have to be prepared to give an answer. So I encourage you, this may be something in front with, with your spouse, with a friend, uh, talk about this or maybe around the dinner table tonight. Hey, if someone asked me, what must I do to be saved? Or what's really the good news about Christianity? What, what would you say? And then take turns talking about it out loud, verbalizing it, pr- preparing yourself to answer such a question. And so friends, uh, in this season of interruption, like Paul and Silas, we need to be ready to witness. And we see the result, right? Verse 33, at... That hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So the man responds. He's saved. He shares this with his household. They all come to faith. They're all baptized. They share a meal, a little uh, midnight snack here in verse 34, a celebration. They're filled with joy because they've come to know God. They've been forgiven of their sins. They've received eternal life in Jesus. It's a beautiful passage. And friends, this passage would be powerful uh, on its own, right? Just, we just stopped here, but, but seeing the example of Paul and Silas and all these lessons, right? We worship, we welcome opportunities, we, we witness. But, but if we zoom out a bit, just real quick here before we, if we zoom out a bit, we can appreciate these events that much more because we see that God was up to so much more than what we can simply see here. See, the events that we read about in Acts chapter 16, these are the beginnings of the Philippian church. If you're familiar with the book of Philippians, it was Paul later writing to the church in Philippi. This is the beginning of that church. We know that this church from here in Acts chapter 16 would, would grow and have a special relationship with Paul and a huge impact in ministry in the years ahead. 
And so Paul's church planting team that we see in this chapter, like the, the people that started out in the church in Philippi, it was that woman named Lydia we talked about. It was that slave girl who had the evil spirits exercised out of her. And it was this jailer and his family. That's the team. Businesswoman, uh, slave girl formerly possessed by evil spirits, jailer and his family. That's the church planting dream team, okay? But look then how God used these tumultuous events, this interruption for Paul and Silas, their time in jail. He used it for the bigger picture. God used Paul and Silas and, and their faithfulness in these interruptions to do something amazing to birth a new church, a movement of God in the city of Philippi, so that Paul and Silas, years later, could write to the Philippian church and could look back on this night and say, wow, that was so inconvenient. That was such an interruption, being beaten, thrown in jail. But look how God used it. Look at this thriving church in Philippi. Look at these believers. Look at the work they're doing in their city. And friends, I think if we lean into this season with worship, welcoming opportunities, and being prepared to witness, we'll be able to say the same thing about 2020. As difficult as it is, as inconvenient of an interruption as it is, we'll be able to look back years from now, years from now, we'll be able to look back to this year and say, wow, look at what God did. Look what God did. We don't want to go through that. We didn't choose that season, but we leaned in and look what came out of it. Friends, as we close our service, we we have an act of worship we can engage in that that Jesus invited his disciples, his followers uh, to do, and that's uh, to commit to taking communion together. Communion is where we as believers come to the Lord's table. We take the elements representing his body and his blood given for us. We remember his work on the cross, his death in our place for our freedom and life and forgiveness. Now, communion, it's meant to be done together, right? Normally when we're in the building, we come together, we come forward in the service to take the elements. We all come up to the same table and it it pictures a meal, right? It's like we're sharing a meal at the same table, kind of like that midnight meal that Paul and Silas and uh, these new believers did in Acts chapter 16. Uh, but, but for now, we have to do so in, in our own homes. And so, again, if you have those elements ready, the element representing Jesus' body, bread, cracker of some kind, and an element representing uh, the blood of Jesus. We're going to take those elements in just a moment. And again, this is an act that is done uh, for, for Christians. So if you're here, if you're watching and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, then we uh, simply encourage you to, to, to sit back to reflect on what we've talked about this morning. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Uh, Jesus, we look to you and uh, we want to say thank you right now for your uh, life, death, and resurrection. Jesus, you are our king. You're the hero of the story. Uh, we have new life and forgiveness of sins only through you. And so we, uh, we have put our faith in you, Jesus, and now we take these elements as an act of worship, remembering you, remembering what you've done and looking forward to the day you return. We pray you'd use us in this season for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, on the night 
He was betrayed. He took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen.